This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, LeBron is a Laker. This Clippers team will win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes! Ryan has to put it up with the buzzer. Backs it in. <laughs> he backs in the three. And the Lakers win the game. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. As usual, Tomer Zarli, your Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points here. Um, Ryan Ward, our Lakers beat writer for Clutch Points, on the other end over in Colorado. Ryan, how's it going? Everything good? Doing well. Trying to keep the dogs down. Trying to keep them quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited as well. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good because today we have a special guest joining us. Uh, Lakers assistant coach Phil Handy, Mr. Phil Handy himself. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, man, fellas, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's my pleasure. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first of all, um, how are you? How are your family, close friends? How are you doing right now amid, uh, I guess, month number three of the pandemic and NBA hiatus? Man, has it been three months already? Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> it's, that's, it feels uh, like three that's, to me. That's, that's, crazy. <laughs> that's crazy how fast time flies. Um, you know, I'm doing really well, guys. I can't, I can't complain. You know, in the midst of uh, all this craziness, I've, I've actually taken some time to really step away from the game for a bit. You know, spend some time with my family. My family's doing well. Spend some time with some some really close friends that I have not had the time to do over the last nine years. So, you know, I've I've really looked at this time uh, as an opportunity for me to just kind of get back to my roots a little bit and do some things I normally can't do throughout the course of the season. So it's it's been really good for me. So you can say a lot of a lot of positives have come out in the, of this, and it's sort of therapeutic for for you. I know some people have mentioned it for themselves of having you know spending time with family now when they couldn't when they were always on the road. Um, you know, May is usually playoff time. I know for the last four years you were always busy. So um, has it been therapeutic and just good for you? Yeah, man, it really has. And um, you know, I think uh, to make a small correction for you, the last five years. I've been I've been in the finals. Oh, my apologies. I, my apologies. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't had. Um, <laughs> I don't really get too much. I don't really get too much downtime. You know, basketball has almost been like year round for me because you know, obviously, if you're in the you're in the finals, you play until the end of June. That gives you maybe you know a couple weeks off, and then you start NBA summer league, and then you know 
next thing you know, you're back into August and guys are working out. So I've, I've actually embraced being able to step away, you know, even at the cost of uh, not being able to play in the playoffs and, and be a part of uh, potentially, you know, competing for, for a championship. But it's been, it's been good because I've been able to really just get back to working with some kids, which is where I started in the basketball training industry anyway. So being able to step away from the NBA a little bit and, and focus my attention towards, you know, just helping basketball grow on a global scale through my app has been probably been the most gratifying thing that I've been able to do during this time period. Mm-hmm. How did you, uh, how did you break into coaching? Man, you know, I, um, I retired in 2003 and uh, I knew that I didn't want to have a nine to five. I didn't want to work for anybody. And so I just, I had this, uh, this itch to really get into the training business and kind of help create uh, a wider lane for the training industry, if, if I could say that. And, you know, I started doing individual workouts uh, with, with high school kids, college kids, NBA players. And I did that for 13 years, uh, ran my own business, 94 feet a game. And that just really kind of organically led me to uh, being offered different positions on NBA staffs, you know, as, as a development coach. And this has been an organic path for me. You know, I did that for 13 years, and then I took my first job with the Lakers in 2011. And, uh, man, here we are nine years later in 2012. It's been a really real organic path for me to become a, become a coach in the NBA. When you started out your coaching program, you know, back when you retired, did you did you envision yourself becoming an NBA ho- NBA coach? And did you envision it happening soon, or like, did you know the timetable? Because you know, there's a lot of coaches out there. You know, a lot of personal trainers, a lot of coaches. What made you different, and did you envision that happening uh, that quickly? I guess you could say. And to be honest, I had zero visions of me being a coach in the NBA. That was not my goal. That was not that was not what I was aiming for. And I had really no ambitions of being a coach, uh, quote-unquote, in the NBA. All I really wanted to do was impact the training world, and I wanted to be able to create uh, a a very competitive and viable training business where I can help athletes become better basketball players. That was my goal. That was my mission. And I simply wanted to be – I wanted to be the best, one of one – you know, if not the best, one of the best in the industry in terms of – helping players improve. And it just, um, my path, like I said, has just been very organic. You know, I didn't, I had no visions of me being a coach in the NBA, uh, nor did I have any visions of me, you know, being able to become an NBA champion in any fashion. So this has just been one of those journeys, man, that's really just taken a life of its own. And it was really just built on hard work. You know, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it and, and, and make it into something that it wasn't, man. It's just really just been a very organic path for me. You joined, so you said you said you joined the Lakers in 2011. Um, I, you were coming off there. You joined them when they just won their two titles. Um, you know, 2011, the they had just lost the previous year in 2010. Dallas Mavericks had beat beat the Lakers in a in a really really good series, and that's when the Mavericks went on to win the championship. 2011. Mike Brown was in his first year of uh, being the head coach for the Lakers, and uh, he brought me on his staff. So I was right after, kind of, you know, a couple of years removed from the championship runs of the Lakers. What was that like? What was that that, that team like? Because that was kind of a big transition 
Bridge, right? Kind of went from uh, competing for titles to kind of going down a bit. And then there was what the, the big Dwight Howard trade and, and uh, Steve Nash coming in. Yeah, that first year in 2011 was, uh, you know, I don't, the Lakers didn't look at themselves as an organization that wasn't there to compete. There was no talk of that. Kobe was still, you know, pretty healthy. Uh, he was still playing at a high level. And um, the team was still very competitive. I think the only difference was, you know, Mike Brown came in and Phil Jackson was gone. Uh, they made a trade, and they, they traded Lamar Odom, which was, which was a big piece to the team that was, you know, that was removed. But, man, we were still, you know, Cole was still in the mindset of trying to compete for a championship. You know, that was always his mindset. And then the next year, you know, we, they made the trades for Dwight and Steve Nash came in. And, um, you know, all intense purposes, man, we had so many injuries that year. Uh-huh. That year was just uh-huh. Steve was unhealthy. You know, Dwight was unhealthy part of the season. Powell was unhealthy part of the season. You know, all of our role players, you know, Matt, uh, Jody Meeks and Matt Bond. I mean, we had so many guys get hurt. You know, Ron Artest, which was AKA Meta World Peace at the time. We had so many injuries throughout the season, and it was just the injuries and then the, you know, the team camaraderie, and it was all these different things. Mike Brown got fired. Mike D'Antoni brought, came, came in. There were all these different dynamics that just kind of led to that season being uh, a little bit of a disaster. And then ultimately at the end of the season, you know, that's when Cole got hurt. And uh, that, that really kind of started the whole rebuilding process for the Lakers once he got injured. Now, I remember that, you know, a lot of people have, have talked about Kobe as, as, as sort of the animal and, and beast. But you, having worked with him a couple of years, uh, especially now looking back at it, do you have any, you know, fond memories of what it was like to, to be able to coach him? Oh, man, I loved it. That was the, that was the only reason why I ever became a coach in the NBA. Kobe Bryant was the sole reason um, because I had initially had some other opportunities to coach on coaching staffs and I wasn't interested, but um, you know, in, in my pursuit of wanting to be one of the best trainers in the industry, you know, I looked at the opportunity of working, you know, with and getting to know Kobe as the ultimate challenge because I didn't know him. And uh, that was the driving force for me in taking the opportunity to work with the Lakers. And, man, I mean, he's just a class act, man. I mean, he is an ultimate competitor. He's he's one of those dudes that's cut from, you know, that MJ cloth. He really just – he wanted to compete. He was always trying to find angles to compete. He was always trying to find different different people to, to push him to compete. And, man, I, my time with him was, was – uh, it was crucial. It was it was really educational for me, and just also just just really just getting to see you know the fabric of what you know some of the greatest players in the game. What do they do? What are, how how is their approach on a daily basis to be great? And so I I look back on those years and uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to uh, to have spent some time with him. Do you see some similarities between Kobe's work ethic and, I mean, obviously you said you said MJ, um, but in, in LeBron, in the short time that you've worked with LeBron? Absolutely. Man, and those guys, you know, people always having the conversations about the GOAT and, and trying Especially to put now. those guys, they, they're trying to put those guys against each other on a daily basis. But what people don't understand is all three of those guys and any other any other great players, 
their work ethics are insane, like insane to the point to where people really don't understand how much work they put in on the court and off the court in taking care of their bodies. And there are a lot of common denominators between Kobe and LeBron in the time that I've spent with them. A lot of denominators in how they study the game, you know, their basketball IQ and how they, they study their opponents, you know, how they study themselves. They just really, man, they're, they're in a, they're in a different class because for them, they're really pushing themselves to try to perfect the game and they're pushing themselves to be as great as they can be every day. And, um, I, you know, having had a chance to work with both of those guys, man, there's, there's so many similarities in their approach to the game and how hard they work. Was there, was there a moment in particular when you first started, uh, working with LeBron where you're like, wow, this guy's the real deal. And you knew it right away when you saw him do one thing or, or some continuous. <laughs> you know, what's crazy, man. I don't even know if I've ever told LeBron this, but my first year with him in Cleveland, I was, um, I was like, you know, just looking forward to the opportunity of, you know, building a relationship with him, him as well, because I didn't know him either. And, you know, you see him play in the regular season, right? And he plays at a high level. And, you know, he, he prepares himself for the playoffs during the regular season. What, what really threw me for a loop was when the playoffs started, man, he had another gear. He wow. had a whole nother, another gear that he just went to, and I was blown away like, yo, hold up. How is this humanly possible? You know, because he plays pretty hard. You know, he plays hard in the regular season. Um, he just had a whole nother gear, man, and I was – I was in shock, and that that really took my respect for him to a whole nother level because here I was thinking in the regular season, I was like, man, this dude's he's crazy, you know, the way, the way he plays and he plays hard. You know, look, and I can say he manages himself for the playoffs, but when he gets in the playoffs, man, he is all out every game, every possession, and he's just so locked in. I was just blown away at how he took another step and went a whole nother level when most guys are just kind of plateaued out. There's nowhere else for them to go. He had, he had a whole nother area of basketball that he went to. And that really showed me like, well, okay, well, this is why, you know, he's been able to make it to the finals many times he had. And this is why he's, he's, you know, moving into that category of being one of the best players to ever play the game. You mentioned, um, obviously this is now the, the Cavs years, years of the Cavs. Um, the year before, you, I think you joined the Cavs the year before LeBron came back to Cleveland, correct? Correct. And so you're working out with Kyrie Irving, and, and I think at the time he was sort of a, a young star who was sort of just, I think that the perception of him was he was just putting up numbers, but he wasn't really a winning player. What was your, you know, interactions with him, you know, as a, I think he was, what, 21, 22 at the time, uh, you know, developing mm-hmm. into when, you know, LeBron came back and then they developed into a championship team. You guys developed into a championship team then. What, what was Kyrie Irving like as a young player and then developing into, um, you know, champion? Man, he wanted to be a winner. And I think it bothered him that people looked at him as an elite player that just really cared about numbers. I mean, you got to take a look at that team. They were young. You know, they had a young talent, you know, young talented team, but they weren't, you know, they weren't ready to compete for a championship or anything like that. And he was, he was a young kid that just came into the league after playing one year of college basketball, 
and he was really trying to figure it out. And um, when I got to Cleveland, you know, Mike Brown, you know, gave me my responsibility and said, look, you're here to, to mentor Kyrie. We need to teach him how to work and help him, you know, try to take his game to another level. And I'll tell you, man, Kobe played a big part in that as well because after I left L.A., you know, I reached out to Kobe and asked him if he would, you know, mentor Kyrie and, and help the kid as a peer, as a peer. And um, he was very receptive to that, and Kyrie was very receptive to, to reaching out to Kobe. So there was, there was a lot of things about him that, you know, people just didn't know. He wanted to be a winner. He wanted to put himself in a different category in terms of what his legacy would look like down the road. And, um, and look, he put in the work. You know, he was willing to be a student, to, and he studied the game. And, you know, Bron came back to Cleveland, and, and that really helped him, you know, take that next step as well. Uh, there were, like, you know, a lot of speculation, especially during LeBron, LeBron-led teams. Um, you know, there were some things said about, you know, Kyrie didn't like that LeBron came back because it was his team and everything. Was any of that true at all? Like, I feel like it's all just hearsay and speculation to try and break a team apart. Yeah, man. I mean, look. I think people always have to have something to write about. Man, we, right. <laughs> we came back. We came back that first year, and we went to the NBA Finals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Ky- Kyrie was injured, kind of banged up. But man, them two, them two are arguably one of the top, one of the best duels of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they played together, the, the relationship that they figured out. Because they're both two guys that, that, right, they need the ball in their hands. And they figured mm-hmm. out how to play with each other and not let that, let that affect them. You know, and T. Lou did a great job of, of managing that as well and putting those guys in, in position to be successful. And, uh, man, it was never – them two dudes get along, man. They got along great. And, you know, I think people always try to have some narratives to try to pit one elite player against another upcoming elite player. But – and Brian mm-hmm. came. He's always been he come in with the with the mindset of, man, I'm here to help all of my teammates. You know, mm-hmm. so we all succeed. And that was that was the attitude that he came in with. And, and Kai was receptive to it. And uh, and they they found ways to be successful together. And I wish we could have did it for a few more years. I wanted to pause real quick to tell you guys about BetOnline. Right now, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports you can still get in on. You can still bet on NFL simulations, NBA simulations, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you can find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now, I'm a bit on the younger side. Um, so, you know, the 2016 finals is probably my favorite given the circumstances, given the situations, everything like that. You, you just take us through that 2016 series when you guys win, I believe game three, drop game four, and then win three in a row to close out. Um, that was just a wave of, you know, just watching it, just a wave of emotions. 
Um, <laughs> what was it like being a part of that every day for like, what was it? I think three weeks. Man, that was an amazing run. I think, um, man, I'll tell you what, like after game four, when we went down 3-1, you know, there was no panic. There was no, like, guys were so calm. T. Lou was calm. LeBron was calm. And they were, they those two, you know, with T. Lou being the head coach, their voices were very demanding in the sense of, hey, we were in that locker room. Nobody had their head down. Guys were not like, man, the season's over. T. Lou simply stated, and Bron seconded, it, said, look, we got one game to win. If you guys do not believe that we can go to Golden State and win this game, do not get on the plane. It was plain and simple. And uh, everybody fell in line with that. We all just kind of – everybody really just took a one-game-at-a-time approach. And you can't, look, you can't look past that. We had to go win game five. And that was the only thing we thought about. After we won game five, the only thing we thought about was we got to win game six. And I think everybody felt very confident and comfortable going back to Cleveland. We had a great fan base there. And after we win game six, it was just like, let's go. There's all, all the marbles. We ain't got nothing else to lose now. Let's, let's go play. And I think everybody <laughs> just really just took that mindset, man. It was really a one-game-at-a-time one focus. Um, nothing else. There was no talk about anything else. We weren't talking about anything except for the game that was in front of us. Uh-huh. Kyrie was, I believe, the first one Kyrie hugged was you. I believe you guys were, you guys fell down by the, by the baseline. Um, you know, tears coming through. Obviously, a lot of years of hard work. Uh, do you remember that moment? Some people say, you know, it was a blur a bit because it was just so much emotion and so much going on. Do you remember that moment, you know, where Spates misses the corner three, Kyrie hugs you, and, and everything just goes crazy? Man, I just... I just remember bolting from behind the bench. I don't even know if I was I don't even know if I was looking for Kyrie, but it was just a natural like we had spent so much time together, man. We had some good days, we had some bad days, we had some really bad days. And um to get to that point, yeah, man, that was that was just it happened so fast. I don't remember running to I mean, I'm telling you, it just—it was a—it was a blur. I just—I do remember tackling him. I don't even think he hugged me. I just tackled him, and that's uh, <laughs> just—that's just, uh, that's everything that you play for. That's everything you work for. Uh, to be able to experience a moment like that, and it's just a lot of joy, man. A lot, a lot of joy. I still get chills from it to this day. When you look back at at, at your time in Cleveland, what what are you most proud of? Man, just being a part of history. You know, mm-hmm. I went to Cleveland. Um, they had been hurting ever since LeBron left, right? And then to be able to to be a part of history and, and helping that city and that state celebrate winning a championship. Cleveland was what looked upon as a cursed city for how many years? And uh, to be a part of that, man, that's that's some deep history, man. And not only that, but just – being a part of it with LeBron, being from Akron, Ohio. You know, I'm a Bay Area boy. I'm from Oakland. I played for the Warriors. I grew up watching the Warriors. So there's all these different storylines. But being a part of that history and helping build that and helping, you know, just be a part of that was is, is something, man, that's always going to go down as one of the greatest 
greatest moments in my career. And I'm just uh, really proud to have had spent the time in Cleveland and, and just kind of help get that cloud removed from the city. What's it like now that you have like another chance to win a title with LeBron? I mean, a lot of people think that the Lakers are the favorite if, if the season gets back underway. Well, you know, I think, uh, like, I think my, my, my mindset has always been, you know, I've, I've been very blessed to be in the last five finals. But I think if you ask anybody, you ask Ron, but there are no guarantees. The only thing that we can ask for is the opportunity and the team to be good enough to compete for a championship. And it felt, you know, it felt good to be, be back together. I mean, me and Bron spent four years together in Cleveland and coming here into LA and, and, and being a part of Coach Vogel's staff and trying to help this team get back to a place of prominence. Man, it's been a it's been a great season. You know, obviously it's disappointing with the way things went, but you can't you can only ask for the opportunity to compete for it. And I think we were all just really really pleased that our team was responding the way they were and competing at the level they were. And uh, it's just it's just one of those things, man. You just try to leave it out there every night and give yourself the best opportunity you can to to hoist that trophy. Before we jump over to the Lakers, I just wanted to ask a couple more because your next stop after Cleveland was Toronto. Um, and it was only a year, but it was pretty a pretty magical year. You ended another drought there. Um, what was what was it like being – like, why Toronto, first of all? What made you decide to join Toronto? Yeah, you know, um, I've been in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland for five years, and uh, I think the Cavs were in a place where they wanted to go in a different direction. Uh-huh. Uh, Braun was leaving. And I, it was kind of mutually agreed upon, you know, I, it was time for me to kind of take the next step in my career and figure out what's next. And um, I coached, you know, Nick Nurse got the head coaching job. And I played for Nick Nurse in Europe, you know, 20 years prior in England. We won a championship together. I played for his team. And we had always kept a great relationship and uh, kept kept in touch and, you know, competing against the Raptors when I was in Cleveland. So, you know, when he got the job, he just kind of naturally reached out and said, hey, you know, what are you up to? And I had just just freed myself from my contract in Cleveland. And I was really – I wanted to go to another place that, again, had the type of team that could potentially, you know, compete for a championship. So I had always looked at Toronto as a very competitive team. They were really good. You know, I think the only thing that was stopping them from having an opportunity to reach the finals was LeBron and our teams in Cleveland. So with him leaving, I looked at the makeup of that team, and I, I really felt like that, you know, if Nick wanted me on his staff, that that's a place where I wanted to go because I felt like I could go and help some of the players. I could, you know, put in some work with DeMar, put in some work with Kyle and, some, and Pascal and some of the younger guys. And I just looked at them as, as a great team to really compete in the East, and I felt like they had a chance. And so – when it was agreed upon, you know, they wanted me to come. You know, I made that decision, and uh, I was really happy. And I, like I said, I made that decision before before Kawhi was traded there. You know, after uh-huh. I signed my contract, maybe, I think it might have been like two or three days later, you know, I'm, I'm at my house in Cleveland, and ESPN pops up, and breaking news, you know, Toronto Raptors have traded DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I, I literally fell out of my seat, like, Come on, man. This can't be. 
Like, and listen, I say this in, in all due respect because, again, I really felt like DeMar, DeMar man, he's, a, he's an incredible player. And I felt like, I, you know, the team that they had, we would be able to compete. And so it was just like, man, you know, they trade one elite player for another elite player, and it just uh, – and, you know, the rest of it is just history, man. It was just a really great year uh, being there and working with, working with the team. What was it like working with, with um, Kawhi Leonard? Because he had had a really rough year before that, you know, obviously with the trade request and the, the hamstring injury, uh, or the quad injury, excuse me. Uh, what was it like working, working with Kawhi? Um, I think public perception, like I cover the Clippers now, but public perception is that he's a very quiet guy, doesn't, not really, you know, doesn't say a lot. Um, what was it like? Man, that, that was one of the easiest transitions I've ever made with a player. Kawhi is... Man, that dude is just all about the love for the game. He just loves the game. And and he, he is. He's a quiet dude that just wants to play basketball. So all the fluff, all the bells and whistles, all the social media and all the other stuff, he doesn't need it. He just wants to hoop. And our process was easy. You know, after the trade went through and a couple of weeks went by and kind of, you know, kind of some of the dust settled, I reached out to Kawhi via text and said, hey, look, you know, we're both new to Toronto. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting in the gym and putting some work in with you. And his text back to me was, when are you coming to San Diego? <laughs> that, that's, how we, that's, that's how we, uh, we kind of started, man. And it, just, it was an easy process, man. He is a gym rat. He is just like, you know, one of those guys in the same vein of Kobe, same vein of Braun. He's very serious about his work. He's a, he's a very, uh, very smart basketball player. He takes care of his body, and he just wants to be great, man. And um, that was a that was a great great time for me to kind of again. I didn't know Kawhi at all, so building a relationship with him from scratch, it was um, to this day. You know, we're still very close. He, he's kind of an old school superstar, and that he still prioritizes the mid range game. Um, in, an, in an era where there really isn't that much mid-range shooting, for, like the Rockets, for example, don't even take any mid-range shots. Uh, what makes Kawhi, or why is Kawhi so unique? Hey, man, you tell me a team ever in the history of the NBA that's ever won an NBA championship shooting threes and layups only. Tell me one. Can't. Yeah, Kawhi, MJ, Kobe, even the Warriors. You take the Warriors. They shoot a ton of threes, but they also shoot a ton of mid-range shots. So we talk about taking the best shot available, right? Where are most mm-hmm. game winners won? If you take a look at some of MJ's game winners, you go back and look at some of Kobe's game winners. If you take a look at the history of game winners, you probably find that somewhere between 85 to 90% of those shots are in the mid-range. Yeah, mm-hmm. some guys that might hit a three, you might hit a layup, but most game winners come in the mid-range area, and that is probably one of the most important, most underrated shots in the game. And we work on it daily. That's an area that people just forget about. You know, and it, look, it's always one of those things where you talk about, let's just take good shots, period. I think you can take bad threes, you can take bad layups, and you can take bad mid-range shots. So we always want to work mm-hmm. on taking the best, best shot you can get. And Kawhi really valued that, man. He, 
He values being efficient at the three, in the mid-range, and at the rim. And I think those are the players that really excel and give themselves the best chance at, at being uh, championship caliber players. Well, you, you, you mentioned the words Kawhi and game winner, and so I got to bring up game seven uh, against the Sixers. Uh, right in mm-hmm. front of the bench, I believe. What what was uh? Do you remember? Do you remember that? What was that like? The four bounces, the the, the waiting. I feel like you know it felt like for Danny Green said it felt like four months or four, four minutes or something. <laughs> it did, man. It felt forever. I think time paused. For me, I always tell people it seemed like the arena just went dark. I don't even remember the lights being on. It seemed like everything. And no, nah, man, I, in that moment of time, it seemed like the arena was just dark. And uh, I just remember, like, when the basket went in, everything went, every, the lights came back on. That's my memory of it. And it was just, oh, wow. it seemed like, man, it was forever. I remember sitting back there watching, like, yo, I really thought the ball was going to bounce off the other side of the rim. And it just, it seemed like it just, that last bounce, just the ball just kind of sat there on the rim for a couple of seconds. So I'm just going to let everybody chill. And, um, <laughs> it, it was, man, again, man, another historical moment to be a part of, you know, in my career. And it just, you know, it was a great moment, man, for Toronto. So what what was crazier? Was uh, Kyrie's step back three on Steph or that Kawhi shot where you just had to wait forever for it to finish? You know, Kyrie's three happened so fast, man. I think, look, both of those shots are crazy because yeah. in, that Warriors, in that Warriors series, Nobody had scored for like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were coming down to the stretch of the game, and it was like a, you know, it was just like, oh, we got to score. <laughs> you know, we were, we were getting stops, they were getting stops. And then when Kyrie hit that three, I mean, it was still a lot of time left, but because the game, or the flow of the game was nobody was scoring, that was like, it was like a 10 point lead. And I think we were only up two. But that was like, man, I remember I was back there jumping up and down on my seat when he hit the three and then, you know, watching the Kawhi thing saying, you know, it was one of those things where I just was like, okay, it's a tie ball game. Like we got the ball to bounce. So the worst thing that can happen is what we go to overtime. Um, but in the midst of that shot and both of those moments are just stupid. They're unbelievable moments to be a part of man, uh, in my, in my career. You got quite the resume for crazy moments in the NBA. That's for sure. Yeah. Which, which, the championship parades, what were those like? Um, obviously, Cleveland was a unique one because of 50 years, but Toronto, you know, trading the franchise superstar in DeMar, and then you got the Game 7 winner, and then, you know, the final. What was that like, the, the, the two championship parades? Man, man, those parades were amazing. You know, I, you like you said, they were they're both historical and they and they both had levels of craziness to them that you probably wouldn't get in any other situations. Just, just, you know, Cleveland 50 years, the whole state of Ohio came to Cleveland. You know, yeah. There was, I think they said that there was probably, I don't know. I can't remember the numbers. 2 million people that embarked uh, upon Cleveland. Something, something yeah. Like I think it was 2 million. Yeah. We, we flew in. We actually Toronto. flew in. I flew in at like six thirty. See, yeah, Toronto had three million people. It was, uh, you know, the whole the whole country. <laughs> so you you have the whole state <laughs> of Ohio that comes, and then you have all of Canada that's dialed into this parade, man. They were, uh, 
uh, they were both epic on mass proportion, man. Just, just again, you know, another more historical moments that I talk about in my career, being part of, part of both of those parades, man. They were, they were phenomenal. Well, you could be a part of another one pretty soon, if everything goes right. <laughs> Uh, man, you know, that's the hope, but, you know, we, we'll see. We will see. Well, are you, are you down for a virtual parade if you guys win? <laughs> hey, I was just, as you guys were talking about that, man, I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, what would that be like? And I'm just going to tell you Strange. guys, look, man, during this, during this pandemic, now you guys got me thinking, I started playing 2K. I started playing 2K. <laughs> <during this pandemic. laughs> I made a... I look, I made a my player. I made my own player. I went through the ranks of, you know, being drafted. And I went through the whole process. And I won a championship in my first year with the Lakers. And the parade that they had on 2K, you want to talk about virtual parades. That's probably what I, that's probably what it'll feel like when you, know, you win. The parade, on, the parade on 2K was crazy, man. <laughs> well, real quick, before we move on, though, what, what kind of player did you pick? What are you, small forward, long, long athletic cut? What did you pick? What I, what kind of player was I? On two K, yeah. I was a point guard. You know, point my guard. whole career, pretty much, I was a big big point guard that can play play multiple positions. So, you know, that's that's uh, that's what I live and die by. <laughs> uh, well, speaking on this this year, you know, you get you guys get obviously Anthony Davis. You guys get a championship roster together. I mean, what was what was everything like before the hiatus? Obviously, you guys were top of the West. Uh, just coming off beating the Clippers and the Bucks back to back. Obviously, you lost to the Nets before, but you know there's still the, the energy and emotion from those two wins. What, what was the feeling like for for the team heading into after those wins? It's uh, it's one of those things, man. The team was really after the All Star break. You know, one thing I know about Bron and being with him, after All Star break, he really starts gearing up to that playoff gear I was talking to you guys about, and mm-hmm. you can see a shift. You can see a shift in his his demeanor, and you know once he ta- once he does that, I think the team follows, and you you kind of see the team was was really playing you know playing well together, playing hard, just just making improvements, uh, you know just being a little bit more locked in, a little bit more focused on uh, on game plans and and trying to give more of an effort for longer periods of time. Uh, I think you just saw a team that was really trying to find a good rhythm, you know, you, you still have some, some ups and downs, but they were just trying to find a rhythm of, of where can we push ourselves to try to be as consistent as possible as we start preparing, preparing for the playoffs. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, one of those things where the whole season, I, I felt like those guys were getting, well, they were getting better every day uh, with just understanding each other, learn how to play with each other. You know, they, they weren't perfect. You know, we still, still had a lot of games that, uh, you know, teams teams really uh, gave us gave us hard time. You know, but but we were trying to find a way to just continue to be consistent and grow on both sides of the ball. You kind of had the same situation with uh, with uh, Anthony Davis coming in. Um, people thinking it was going to take a little bit of time for the, the the team to you know come together. The chemistry between Braun and and, and Davis. But uh, it's like Kawhi going to Toronto. It just kind of worked right away, mm-hmm. and, you, and you kind of ran with it. What's, what, what, the, what do you think makes this team special? Well, I man, I, I, you know, 
you got to give Rob and front office and Jeannie, they've done a great job in, in trying to put the right pieces around and building the right team. So obviously Frank has done a mar- you know, great job as a head coach and, and giving us all directives and laying out his vision. And he does a great job of communicating with the players and, you know, keeping them engaged and involved. And really, I just feel like everybody was just moving in the same direction, man. Everybody was there with the same goal in mind, and that's to compete for a championship. And, you know, there's a great collection of, you know, some younger talent, veteran talent, some championship talent. You know, I think there's just a great, great mix of, of everything. You know, Rondo removed from the finals for many years, wants to go back. You know, Avery Bradley wants to compete for a championship. You know, Danny Green has a couple under his belt. You know, Jared Dudley, a savvy vet, wants to compete. You know, Quinn Cook has championship DNA. Obviously, you know, LeBron, you know, AD wants to get to that level. So I think the motivation, you know, for all the guys on the team is everybody's just willing to do whatever it takes. You know, JaVale McGee champion, Dwight Howard wants to get there. You know, Alex Caruso, you, you know, Kyle Kuzma, everybody was just really in the mindset of, okay, what do we have to do to be successful? And we just, we tried to really move into that space, front office, players, and coaches, everyone moving in the same direction. So when you look back at, at, Ryan mentioned, you know, these, these guys sort of, you guys sort of clicked right away. The chemistry, you know, on not only social media, but just within practices and everything, it seemed like everyone clicked right away. Is that chemistry style unique where everyone just comes together really quickly? No, you know what? It doesn't always happen. And, again, even with that, you're going to have bad days, even though they click and they date. I think what happens is those guys, one, they genuinely like each other away from basketball. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's, you start with that. I think that's a – that's a great thing when they when the guys actually like each other. You're gonna have bad. You're gonna have some moments. You might lose a game, or you know, guys may not play as well. And, and those those times you get tested. But what they've done is they you know they really they locked into each other. And uh, you know, Braun is a great team first guy. And mm-hmm. I think when your best player when your best player carries that mentality, it's infectious. It's, it's contagious. You know, AD is a great team guy. You know, Rondo is a great team guy. So you start talking about all these pieces. We didn't have, and we don't have any guys on our team that are anti-team. So, you know, those guys, again, man, you see the camaraderie that they have off the court, on the court. And I think that lends to them not being afraid to hold each other accountable in, in different scenarios. So, you know, yeah, it's not something that happens all the time, but I think it's, it's about getting the right personalities and the right people to, to fit into, you know, making your team complete. So when, when you look back at, I mean, do, have you sat down ever and, and sort of just reflected on your entire career, uh, you know, playing-wise, coaching-wise? You said you never intended to be an NBA coach. Have you just sat back and looked at everything you've been through and reflected on that? <laughs> Every day, man. Every day. <laughs> I, um, I, honestly, I honestly can say, man, that I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't take – any of my career for granted. Um, I, I really try to have a, a huge sense of humility and gratitude for where my career has gone. And, and just being, uh, man, like I said, just, just being grateful for what's being been in front of me. Look, I, I work hard. I work extremely hard. But 
I think there's been, you know, some luck along the way too. And this could be anybody sitting in my seat. Uh, but I've, I've really manifested. I've wanted to speak, you know, some of these things into existence when I became a coach. And mm-hmm. so for me, man, I'm just grateful. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful. And I, and I wake up smiling every day saying, man, you know, what can I do today? How can I continue to, to try to push myself and push others to be, uh, to be great? That's to win right. three titles with three different teams. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Assistant Coach Phil Handy. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time um, out of your day. I know, I know, you know, things are getting a little crazy right now, or they've been crazy, excuse me. Um, but hopefully, you know, everyone's safe. Uh, we can return back to normal soon. As usual, um, you can find Ryan Ward at Ryan Ward LA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, you can find me uh, at Tomerazarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y. Uh, Phil, where, where can fans find you? Uh, you know what, man? I'm not much of a social media dude, but um, Instagram is, is my, my main source. They can find me at the real 94 feet of game uh, on Instagram. And uh, that's where they can find a lot of basketball content, daily inspiration. You know, you want some good vibes. You know, come check me out on Instagram. Anything else you want to plug? Man, you know what? I'm not a guy that plugs a lot of stuff. You know, I think if people follow me on Instagram, they'll catch the vibe of what I'm doing. You know, I spend a lot of time with my app, the 94 Feet of Game app. And, uh, you know, I have my clothing line, Be Your Own Goat. Those things are all on my Instagram. I live it. I breathe it every day. So those those are the things I'll plug. Come follow along, man. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find something inspiring. Nice. I like that. Be your own goat. That's pretty cool. That's it. Every day. Uh, as always, guys, um, thank you for tuning in. Please you know, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, whether it's uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeart. We, we're everywhere. Uh, give us a five-star review. Um, any comments, questions, suggestions, or concerns, leave them for us there as well, or Twitter, Instagram. We'll listen to all of it. Um, again, thank, thank you very much, Phil, for joining us, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, if the season does pick back up, Wish you guys good luck. I appreciate you guys, man. It's, a, it's been a pleasure joining you guys, and I hope you're all well and safe with your families as well. Thanks, Thanks. Phil. Thank you. Appreciate it.